And as you do, please join me now in Matthew chapter 5. We are walking through our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And we've come through the Beatitudes, and now we come into what we could call the body of the message. But brace yourselves, because Jesus is going to bring us challenge after challenge in these verses ahead. I mean, we were already challenged in the Beatitudes, but more challenges are coming. Jesus is going to leave no stone unturned in your life. Jesus is going to go to the most, those most private places in your life, and he's going to confront you there, and he's going to call you to live up. Just some of the topics that are coming up in the weeks ahead, Jesus is going to confront our lust. Jesus is going to confront the issues of marriage and divorce. He's going to bring up hatred. He's going to talk to us about worry. He's going to talk to us about our money, personal relationships, and so much more. But all the while calling us to his high kingdom standards as his disciples. But he's going to begin by talking to us about our purpose. Did you know that Jesus has a clear purpose for his disciples on the earth? He's going to call it here in our text, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, the saddest funerals that I attend are those that during the eulogies, when family members and friends begin to talk about the person who's passed away, when all they can come up with are things like this. He worked. He had a dog. He liked to fish. And maybe there's some cute stories in there, but when it's all said and done, the life is summarized by a person who had a job, had a pet, had a hobby. Is that what life is about? Is that what God leaves us on the earth to do? Let's make it more personal. When your life is over, what will people say about you? Or what lasting impact, what eternal impact has your life had? Maybe this week, let's make it real personal. If you were to die this week, and we all gathered later in the week for your service. And eulogies were said about you. Nice words. What would be said about you? Maybe things like this. Man, he sure could eat. Nobody could put away tacos like that guy. And we would all laugh. <laughs> or that guy, I've never known somebody who could binge watch more shows successively than that guy. This guy had amazing TV stamina. This guy. Or he was a gamer. He was a legendary gamer. If the things he did in video games were done on real battlefields, he'd be loaded up with medals. This guy had great virtual bravery. Now listen, that's not, that's not why we're here. God designed us to have lives that matter, to have lasting significance. But even though I think all of us want to have a significant life, if we're not careful, hour after hour can be wasted. And day after day ends up being wasted in our trivial little pursuits. But Jesus intends for all of his disciples to have a life of impact. So let's dive into our text. Let's see it very clearly, these strong, wonderful words. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What a purpose Jesus has in mind for us. What an impact 
Jesus has in mind for us. It's a shocking job title he gave to those humble disciples there in the first century, talking to them. You, disciples, you're the salt of the earth. Disciples, you are the light of the world. Do you hear the importance Jesus bestows upon his disciples? Do you hear the essential purpose for each of them? God has designed us. He has intended for us to have an impact. Salt of the earth. And we're going to take that on today. Next week, we're going to take on, what's he talking about when he says we are the light of the world? But first, salt. Jesus says to us as his disciples, you are salt. Now, I've been a fan of salt all my life. I'm one of those guys that, I'm getting better about it, but I'm one of those guys that I can just look at food and think that's going to need a little salt before I start. Doctors aren't pleased with that, but yeah, I just know that's going to need a little salt. And most of the time I'm right about it. It needs a little something. In fact, I grew up putting salt on watermelon until joy reformed me. I used to put salt on watermelon. In fact, this might start the great watermelon salt debate of 2020. After the service, you can, guys can hash it out in the parking lot. Should you do that? I stopped doing that. I don't mean to brag, but joy, joy reformed me of it. But salt, I liked it. But listen, when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying something far more than you're a nice, nice to have for the earth. You're just, you're just for a little flavoring here. He's saying you're essential to the earth. And these first century disciples would have known that because of how salt was so critical to their lives at that time. And so they knew about the nature of salt and the use of it. So in the first century, salt was used as a preservative. No refrigeration. So you can imagine, how do you keep meat from putrefying preservative? Also, it was used as a cleansing agent. And yes, of course, as a flavoring agent. They actually would rub down babies with salt after birth in the first century. Of course, meats were preserved with it. The Romans used to have this statement. There's nothing more useful than sun and salt. And so Jesus, speaking into that context, says to his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. You're essential to the earth. Your lives, your message will bring a preserving and healing impact on the earth. Now, Joy and I learned about the healing aspects of salt years ago when we lived in Memphis. We were there for seminary. We attended Bellevue Baptist Church for a season. We were involved in a life group. And during one of the life groups, we were sharing a prayer request. Joy was having recurring sinus infections. And somebody in the life group said, have you ever tried sniffing salt water? It can clear up infections. And we had never heard of that before. And so we thought, we will do that. And so that afternoon, getting home from church, Joy readied herself. We tried to think of how are we going to get it up there? So we figured out how we might try that. But then my task as a young husband was to go to the kitchen and prepare the water and salt mixture. Here was the logic in my little young husband brain. If a little bit of salt, you know where this is going. If a little bit of salt had healing qualities that people are touting that in a life group, you know, a lot of salt. Listen, I love her. We got to knock this infection out. And so I came up with something maybe approximating a 50-50 salt to water ratio. My trusting young wife, she sniffs it up and I still remember her face, eyes red with pain. And she just uttered out, what did you do? <laughs> How much salt did you put in there? Needless to say, we buy the prepackaged bottles of saline solution now. But listen, we're the salt of the earth, not to be caustic, not to do damage, but we are to have a healing, preserving influence. We are to slow the decay of the culture all around us. And so let's consider together what that might look like as we live out this purpose that Jesus has for his disciples to be the salt of the earth. First of all, it would mean this, that we have a preserving influence on the earth through our presence and our prayers. 
we have a preserving influence on the earth through our presence and prayers. And this reminds me of Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, we read of God confiding in Abraham that he's going to destroy the wicked, ungodly, immoral city of Sodom. And this led Abraham to begin to pray for the city of Sodom. He prayed this way, Lord, suppose there are 50 righteous persons within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? And the Lord replied, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And then Abraham, if you know the story, he couldn't leave it there. He thought, what if they're just five short of of 50. What if there are only 45 righteous? And he begged for God's patience. God, what if there, what if there are only 45 righteous? And God responded the same way. If I find 45 righteous in that ungodly city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place. And then Abraham just kept going. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20 righteous, God? What about 10? He ended there. What about 10? If you find 10 righteous, what will you do? And God said, I will not destroy it on the account of 10. Here we're reminded that, that God will judge the earth but we are his righteous ones on the earth, not because we're so great. It's not a self-righteousness. None of us have performed that. But because of our faith in Jesus, he's declared us righteous. We're his saints on the earth. That's what saint means, holy one. And because of our presence here, God, in many ways, is withholding the full judgment that the earth deserves. But be sure that judgment is coming. And so just our presence has a healing effect on the earth. But also, I love how Abraham modeled for us a life of intercession. That, that we're alarmed for the unrighteousness around us and we should be praying for righteousness on the earth and in our nation. Let me let you know that coming up is an opportunity for you to join us in praying for our world and for our nation, for the spiritual condition of our nation. We're having a day of prayer here on Saturday, September the 26th. So mark that down, you'll hear more about it, but it's gonna be fairly simple. Uh, we're gonna open up this property outside, inside, for a, for a day of prayer on that Saturday, September 26th, where we'll pray for revival in our country. Don't we need it? We'll pray for spiritual awakening. We'll pray for a reversal of the, of the spiritual decline of our land. By the way, you don't have to wait till then. Every Thursday night by Zoom, we have a faithful prayer team that prays for the nations and prays for missionaries and prays for these types of things for our country, prays for the health of church members, prays for the salvation of others, but that's happening every week. But we have a preserving influence on the earth by our presence and by our prayers. Not only that, we have a healing influence through our lives and message. We have a healing influence through our lives and message. So we bring the message of healing to the world as we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go out into a world of heartbreak and moral decay and we permeate it like salt by sharing the gospel. We open up our mouths with the good news of Jesus Christ. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Make the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now I want you to notice with me the scope of the impact Jesus has in mind for his humble disciples. The earth. You are the salt of the earth. And that is a huge mandate that he's given to us. And aren't you glad for partners in that? 
That's why we love partnering with the International Mission Board. When we think about the nations and all these different cultures, we want to get the gospel there through partners. In fact, this week I had the privilege of being a part, a small part of some training of the 140 adults out at the International Learning Center now preparing to go to the nations. And, and I was so encouraged because they're going to so many different pockets, learning so many different languages and different worldviews they're going to be confronting. We couldn't do that alone. And so I love partners like that. It's just salt scattering out into the earth. I love partners like the North American Mission Board helping us reach North America for Christ and planting churches. I love that we get to do this right here in Glen Allen. We get to be salt in our own culture. And we have a great partner in Virginia, in the SBC of Virginia. In fact, with them, we are part of, of church plants through supporting many, many dozens of church plants around the state. But even here in the area, we are supporting three church plants. One meets right here. So if you're ever in the 11 o'clock service, when you're leaving, you'll see uh, Gracia Sobre Gracia doing their life group time on the picnic tables out this way. But what you don't know is after we leave, then they come in and they go down into MP2 and they worship in the Spanish language. And they're reaching people in this community that maybe we'd have a hard time reaching because we don't speak Spanish fluently enough to worship in it. But also we, we support Covenant Life Church. In fact, there are pastors right there in the back. And in, this, in the, the coming year, they'll be planning in Lakeside. And so we are a supporter of Covenant Life Church. We're also supporters of the Way Church in Short Pump. This is just salt scattering out into the community, the, the influence of Christ in the world. We support other ministries together. A crew that, that leads people to Christ on the VCU campus. Through your giving, we're supporting them and praying for them. Also, we mentioned the Richmond Center for Christian Study at the U of R campus. Just salt scattering out in the city. We sponsor also two pregnancy help centers for those in crisis pregnancies. We want to save the lives of the unborn, and we want to support these young moms and dads. And so we support those two ministries. It's just salt going out. So rightly, we say, understanding who Jesus intends us to be on the earth, we want to be rooted in the truth. But not just that, we want to be reaching in love. And do you want to know our primary strategy as a church as we carry out this mandate to be the salt of the earth? You are the primary strategy of the church in that. In fact, that's why we put on these wristbands. It's just a reminder, oh yeah, I have a role on the earth. We can call it being an ambassador for Christ as the scripture does. We can call it being a peacemaker like Jesus did in the Beatitudes. Or right here, I want to be a part, I want to be a salt, the salt of the earth. That's why we talk about the four E's in our church. We talk about encounter, encourage, equip, and engage. That's what that engage is all about. That I want to know Jesus, worship Jesus, encourage others, be equipped. But I certainly want my life to impact the world around me. I want to engage the culture around me. It's always been the mandate for Christians. Matthew 28, 18 and following. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Or Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, we are to be salt. We know that we're not saved by our works, but we are saved for works. We're to be the salt of the earth. But now I want you to notice this. Jesus makes it clear that there is a prerequisite for you and me to have that type of impact on the earth. In fact, this is where he spends the bulk of verse 13, where he says the prerequisite for a life of impact is purity. It's purity. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. That's what we've talked about up till now. But notice what Jesus emphasizes. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? 
it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Do you hear the stern warning Jesus has for his disciples here? Now, we know that salt itself can't cease to be salt. But we do know that salt can become flavorless or ineffective if it's polluted with other things. It then ceases to do what salt is intended to do. This same thing can happen to believers. We can become useless. We can be those who are not good for anything, Jesus says. Or we'd say it this way, we can become those who are good for nothing. In a world, we can become ineffective if we start living for sin, we start living for self, we start living for stuff, if we start adopting the failed and wrong philosophies of this world, those become the way we think, is how we approach life, then we cannot have an impact because we become just like the world around us. We become polluted. So we must be pure. Now, our method for seeking purity is not to withdraw from the world. Though that's tempting, isn't it? Our, our desire is not to imitate the Amish. But doesn't that sound nice on some days? It gets so crazy in the world. And you start looking at the Amish and think, man, that must be nice. Just to completely unplug, disengage, act like the modern world and all its things aren't happening. But that's not the mandate of disciples. No, it says you are the salt of the earth. We know this, you'll never have impact without contact. And so we have to be engaging the world around us. So our method is this, that we go out into the world every day full of the Holy Spirit. We do like we're doing here today. We, we gather in the presence of the Lord, and we do this individually every day too. I'm going to delight my heart in the Lord. I'm going to be full of the joy of the Lord. I'm going to realign all my priorities and all the way I think every day in the Word of God and in prayer. And then go out in the world full of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, so I'm walking in His wisdom and power to be a peacemaker. To be an ambassador for Christ. To be the salt of the earth. So it's critical that you and I know who we are to Christ. And it's critical to know why we're on the earth. What is our role? We are to be influencers of this world, not influenced by the world. Critical difference. Jesus says, watch out that you don't become tasteless in the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, same idea. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Listen to this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the world. Jesus, don't become tasteless. Be pure in this world. First Peter 1.13 and following. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So understand this. Jesus is making the point, holiness is essential for impact. Purity is essential for impact. And sadly, we've seen in our culture what happens when Christian leaders become dirtied by the world. They don't set themselves apart in their character. So one leader of a major ministry in the United States, I'll leave it vague, 
lost his influence. I think really over the last several years because of the way he did not portray Christ in his public. And we find out apparently if the allegations are true or if any number of them are true in his private life. But no impact, I think, for the last several years. And certainly now because holiness is a prerequisite for impact in the world. But tragically, it's not just well-known people. This happens to average Christians as well. Becoming ineffectual, not just being ineffectual, but even having a negative influence in the world because they are now open to the legitimate charge of hypocrisy. That tolerating a very different private life or tolerating a very different public life. So I have a church me and I have a school me or I have a friend group me or I have a work me that's very different than who I want to be in Christ or who I say I'm in Christ. It's not just having no impact. It has a negative impact. George Barna's research shows over and over again that the average Christian, the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. Their ethics and their morals are almost the same as the lost people around them. That's losing your usefulness, Jesus would say. You've become tasteless. That's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet by men. So listen, it can't be us. We can't be fake. We can't tolerate sin in our lives. When we recognize sin, we run to Jesus and we do all sin. But what do we do with it? We run to Jesus in absolute humility and brokenness. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I turn away from that sin. Give me strength not to go down that path again. So listen, if you're known at your office as being cutthroat, repent of that. Come to Jesus for forgiveness and repent of that. If people know you as a bitter, unforgiving person, you'll have no impact for Christ in the world. Confess that to the Lord. Repent. He'll forgive you. If you're known for being a womanizer, you look at women in all the wrong ways, you'll have no impact for Christ. Confess that to the Lord. Repent of that. If you cheat at school, you cheat in your business, listen, you need to confess that to the Lord and repent of that. Purity is a prerequisite for impact on the earth. In fact, let me just remind you the context. We're in the body of the Sermon on the Mount, but we began with the Beatitudes. Do you remember how Jesus started? He said, blessed are the what? pure in heart. And Jesus is the one who makes us clean. And then he says this, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's us. That has to be true of us if we're to have an impact on the earth. Here again, Jesus, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Well, two specific ways I think we can apply that in light of what we're experiencing right now. You think, I'm the salt of the earth. What might that look like in my life? First of all, I would encourage you that it means engaging the culture, even through the political process. Now, the first disciples would have not had that opportunity. They were in the Roman Empire, and the Romans were not interested in having input from the average citizens. They couldn't do that. But you and I live in a representative democracy. And so as citizens here, we should indeed vote and even lobby for what is good. Now, as Christians, we know our hope is not in politicians. Absolutely not. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, we have a preserving responsibility to vote according to biblical convictions. It would be foolish to not engage and just let the ungodly lead the nation. When we have this privilege of speaking into it, we should be voting for men and women who will most uphold biblical values. Now, we understand most of the time we don't have two born-again Christians on the ballot. Usually no born-again Christians on the ballot. They'll, they'll be some type of cultural Christian. We'll see the flaws in them, but we're, we're looking beneath that. Who's, who's saying they will uphold biblical values? And we want to vote for policies that reflect biblical values. And so we as those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we want what's good for everybody 
around us. Now, among many issues that matter to us, two are high on the list. And one of those would be this. As the salt of the earth, we should be seeking to preserve the life of those in the womb. Should we not? That's not merely a political issue. Sadly, it is a political issue, but it is a moral issue. It is a good and evil issue. It's a life or death issue. Let me read you this. This is a thank you note to us from the East End Pregnancy Center. And they're on the front lines of loving women and loving men and trying to save the lives of babies. Uh, you, you support them. Some of you volunteer there. Uh, with, we, we also give things like vitamins and baby clothes. We're trying to help people, but to save the lives of those in the womb. Here's what they say. And they bring in the, the political nature of this, why it matters that we stand for life. So this is from their thank you note that I got this week. Your monthly support comes at a critical time in Virginia as legislation aimed at protecting women and the unborn has been stripped away. The ultrasound requirement before performing an abortion and the 24-hour waiting period between the ultrasound and the abortion have been eliminated. Also, tragically, just down the road from us, a new Planned Parenthood opened its doors. So there they are, loving women, helping them, supporting them, and they're telling you, but there are those who use legislation against the life of the unborn. And you and I need to be clued in. It's like, I don't want to be political. I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. But we have a responsibility to preserve life. And so we want to vote for those who pledge to defend life. Personally, I cannot imagine voting for a candidate who would be for, who could somehow defend the slaughtering of babies, the most innocent of life in the womb. I cannot imagine. I don't see how that would accord with me hungering and thirsting for righteousness to see that done to children. It's an embarrassment to our nation. But there's also this, we should be those who preserve life of the unborn, but we should be those who want to preserve our religious liberties. And so we live in a time where those who have a radical new morality, who have turned against, it's not just that they have a new morality, but they don't allow historic biblical morality in the public square. So if you have a historic biblical understanding of marriage, morality, or even male and female, you're not welcome and you will be penalized for this. Again, don't want to be political, but it is a political issue because it's being pushed in. So last time we talked about how Jesus said, you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, you will be persecuted for my name, he said, but why would I want to vote in those who want to persecute me and those that I love? And those are really very real issues. Legislations put in to punish people of a biblical faith who want to actually have the free exercise of their religion. And so, again, we don't want to be political, but these are moral issues. And so if I just were to mention those two, we should be clued in. And we want to use whatever influence we have to be those who preserve, who bring healing, which we believe is good for everybody. And so I would encourage you as we move into this political season... Just as you're a humble disciple of Jesus Christ, we should register to vote. It matters. Ask the pregnancy center. It matters who we put in these offices. Lives are on the line. Research the policies of the parties. I've spent time on the Democrats' website and the Republicans' website. And again, we're not endorsing a party or a politician, but I would just tell you, do your own research and see what they stand for. I would encourage you to look beneath the personality and the public persona to evaluate platform. Evaluate their policies. Evaluate their promises. What are they saying they'll do with the authority you vote them in to do? Even evaluate their partners. Who, who is aligned with them and what is their agenda? So register to vote, research their policies and the parties, evaluate everything by scripture, and then please vote. Make it your, your intention. I, I will vote. This is important. But above all, pray for revival. 
Because we know even after the election, there'll still be great, great problems here. The politicians won't save, save us from the greatest problem we have, and that is sin, and we have a Savior. So, yes, engage as a disciple. The Beatitudes will tell you how to do it, the right kind of spirit, but engage in that. But listen, also, again, back to your gospel witness. Walk the walk as a disciple of Jesus. And talk the talk. Please talk about Jesus to people who are lost and hopeless without their Savior. So here's the invitation today, just for you to examine your heart as I examine mine. Are you salty? Are you salty? Does your life in Christ make a difference? Are you different from those around you in such a way that you can be a healing, preserving influence on the earth? If you answer that question, I, I've, I've just become corrupted by the world. Jesus said salt can't become salty again, but thankfully people can. And so certainly all of us, if we notice I've become very worldly, we can repent of that. And we must repent of that. Lord, cleanse me. Make me useful again. Purify me from all the compromise that's been in my life. I want you to clean up my mind. I want you to clean up my eyes. I want you to clean up my speech, clean up my heart, that I might be useful to you and have a lasting impact in this desperate world. It all begins, though, of course, with trusting in Jesus as your, as your Savior, fully yielding to the Holy Spirit every day and embracing and living out your God-given purpose. You are the salt of the earth.